0: In our evening services, we're working through the second half of the book of Romans at this point. Just last week, we started this series with the first bit and the last bit of Romans chapter 9. Tonight, we're going to read Romans 9, and it's actually going to be 14 to 24. The bulletin and the PowerPoint say 14 to 29, but it's actually going to be Romans 9, 14 to 24. There's a lot to be said from this passage. I'm not going to cover all of it. We're going to continue with this same passage next week. I just want to focus on a couple things tonight. This is God's word for us today. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, Then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? But who are you, O man? To talk back to God. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. So Ken Davis, who's a pretty well-known Christian comedian, or at least he used to be, used to tell a story about a presentation that he made in a college speech class. He was supposed to drive home a point in a really memorable way. So Ken said he was going to talk about the law of the pendulum. And if you don't remember, a pendulum is basically a weight that swings from a rope, goes back and forth. Uh, Grandfather clock would be an example of this. And the law of the pendulum that he was going to explain is that if you give a pendulum a push, it will never return as high as the point that you pushed it from. If you lift it up and let it go, it will never, ever come back to this point. So Ken put up a little pendulum on the blackboard. He swung it, marked where it hit each time, and then turned to the class and said, okay, everyone, do we agree that the law of the pendulum is true? And everyone agreed, sure. Now earlier, Ken had hung a 250-pound weight from the steel beams in the classroom ceiling, and he took a chair, and he put it next to the cement wall. He took the teacher, and he put the teacher on the chair. He took the 250-pound pendulum, and he pushed it right up to the teacher's nose and he looked at his professor and he said do you believe that the law of the pendulum is true do you believe if I let this go it could never no matter what it could never come any higher than where it is right now and the guy took a deep breath and said yes and Ken let go and stepped away and can you guess what the teacher did the pendulum went, and as it started coming back, he dived for the floor. His head said, that thing isn't going to hit me, but the rest of him said, run for your life. He dived for the floor. Often the things that we think we believe and the things that we actually believe aren't quite the same. Often there's one set of beliefs that we mentally sign off on, but there's another set of beliefs, another truth, another reality that we actually live according to. And I think most of us, we have some felt beliefs, some things we, li- we live according to, some intuitive senses that get in the way of hearing what this text really has to say to us. I think our gut feel of how the world works works just doesn't jive with what Romans 9 has to say to us. And let's be real. Romans 9 is a challenging text. It tells us that God only has mercy on some people. It tells us God prepares some others for judgment. It tells us that we can't talk back to God. In these verses, God dispenses justice and mercy according to His will. And that's that. Now, there's a range of Christian interpretation of these verses. You can guess where we come down, because our church says we're in the title. We're big on the sovereignty of God. We like to talk about God being active in our salvation. But even if that's not where you are, you still have to wrestle with this text and wrestle with the reality that God is God. God is God, and He does what He does. Wills. And I really think that's one of the places where what our head says and what we live according to doesn't totally match up. And I think this is a particular issue in our culture today in the West, much more so than any other time and place in the history of the world. In the ancient world, as far as I can tell, people seemed like they always had a sense that they would stand in front of a judge and face judgment somehow, someday. It might be God, or it might be the gods, or it might be just abstract justice, but people kind of lived with this sense that they deserved judgment, that things weren't right with them, that they would have to stand in front of something or somebody and give an accounting someday. And we've totally, totally lost that in our culture. Most people in our culture these days don't have any sense that God would Or could or should stand in judgment over them. I think if you talk to the average person outside the church, you'd find that to be true. But I think if you really get at what we live according to, even in the church, I think that's often how we function. The very cultural air we breathe, the water we swim in, it gets into our believing too. And I think if we're honest, we have this sense, maybe we don't really need mercy because we don't really, really deserve judgment. I suspect if we look deep inside, a lot of us would actually picture ourselves in the judge's seat and we would expect God to explain himself to us. If anything, our gut sense is that God owes us an explanation, not the other way around. But the truth that we know in our heads is that God isn't a life coach. He's not just a therapist who wants us to maximize our good feelings about everything. The reality is that we are sick. The reality is even that we're dead in our sins. And God is a doctor who can bring healing to that sickness and resurrection to that death. But he's also a doctor who has to tell us that we're sick before we're going to be interested in the cure. The assumption of Romans 9, the assumption of the whole Bible, is that all of humanity, even me, even you, all of humanity stand before God, and we are not good enough. You heard that in some of the texts that these guys shared earlier. Over and over again in the book of Romans and other places, we're told nobody, nobody is righteous Everybody's sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody can stand in front of God and demand an accounting from Him. Our only hope, our only hope is God's mercy. Now I suspect for all of us here that isn't new news. And this isn't really one of those nights where I want to teach you something new. My goal for tonight is to invite you, to challenge you, to reflect on the beliefs that you really live according to. My goal is for you to ask yourself, when you approach God, when you approach God, how do you really approach Him? What beliefs about God's mercy and God's justice do you really live by? Who do you think owes an explanation to whom? In short, what I'm basically asking is that question that Paul asks, asks at one point in Romans 9. Who are we? Who are we to talk back to God? Now, if we follow the direction of our culture and our sinful hearts, Romans 9 is almost impossible for us to understand. We just don't get that question. We think that we have the right to talk back to God. The God of our culture, the God of our hearts, is a nice, tame little deity who does what we want and doesn't get in our way. We want to tame God, and often we act like we have one. That's always been the temptation from the very beginning. Eat the fruit. Do what you want. Become like God, able to judge what's good and what's evil. Be like God. Get God under your thumb. But the truth of the matter is that God is mighty and God is God. And God is a powerful wrecking ball. The Lord has the right and he has the might to do what he wills. God is able to do what he wants to do. And what's more, God is right to do what he wants to do. So our fundamental posture when we come before God, our fundamental posture when we read the scriptures and find things that are hard to understand is not to look up at God and to demand that He fit our plans and He make sense to us and that He does what we want Him to do. The fundamental posture we need to have before God is to dive for the floor, to humble ourselves before God, to ask God to change our hearts, to teach us to show us His ways. The Lord is God, and we are not. The Lord is God, and we are not. And I think when we grasp that truth, when we embrace that reality, as challenging as it can be, then I think we're in a better position to really understand God's judgment and God's mercy. The Lord is able. He has the right to do what He wants. The Lord is just in all His judgments. But the Lord also is merciful. The Lord comes to us who are sinners, to us who are rebels, to us who think God needs to give us an accounting And instead of blowing us away like he could and like he would have the perfect right to, God instead came in the person of his son and died for us. God is powerful and just beyond what we can understand. But God is also merciful and gracious beyond all reckoning. When you go before God, what questions do you ask? When you go before God, what does your heart really say? Let me challenge you tonight to let God be God, to recognize that you're not, and then to praise God for his judgment and for his mercy.